0: First of there all, my name is Sam. That's Brian. Sam. Uh, we are uh, Red River Brian. Podcast. We, we, yeah. talk, we talk music, we talk movies, we talk pop culture. And uh, uh, when I tell you uh you <laughs> you are one of the people that we wanted mm. to have on and we just never thought that we would ever ask um we i i can't even you know i i can't even tell you what your music and and, and your playing has, mm. has meant to us growing up uh to this day so mm. thank you so much for taking the time
1: i appreciate it thank you so much thank you no it's a pleasure to be here yeah yeah, yeah. That's,
0: bienvenido that's Bien, bienvenido <laughs> okay uh, um so
1: i, I resist is this, is this a radio uh audio only or is we just take too? the audio
2: off it with just yeah, video okay. just so we can converse better you know i which do up.
1: the same thing with yeah. with my show uh on you know six degrees of stars once it's a rock radio
2: which and is so fantastic it's, i must oh, thank you so much
1: thank you, thank you. really enjoying that. it i okay. just wrapped the thank uh you.
2: brad gillis episode and uh <laughs> brad yeah it's, it's, yeah it's so sure. good. I like. I You know, we'll jump around a little bit here, but uh, I love that it's it's kind of like a classic radio show. It reminds me of because you get the interview and then you pull. Uh, there's there's music clips of exactly what you were talking about. So it, it, you know, it's great for the listener.
1: Are we rolling?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: Oh, okay. Great. Great. I mean, no. So I, so I can answer your question and that segment oh, later sure. on because we're actually rolling okay. now. We're yeah. Rolling. yeah. Yeah, I, I I wanted to uh, create something that I grew up with, which was radio, AM radio in the 60s. You know, the feeling of coming home from school and there's a DJ, very famous DJ in Miami named Rick Shaw. And he would announce, we're going to play the latest Beatles single. You know, and it was, you know, at three o'clock and we're sitting, everybody sitting at the same time in front of the radio, waiting for that song to come on that we had no idea what it was going to be like. And then they'll play, like, I Am the Walrus. And you're like, holy shit, what did I just hear? And you're, like, scratching your head as you're listening to it, trying to, like, get as much information as possible because it wasn't even in the stores yet. So it wasn't like you could go out there and buy it. You know, so it's like, then you have to wait for the next time that they play because they'll hook you in, you know, then they'll play advertising and all of that on the radio. But I I wanted to recreate that, which actually it creates a frequency, uh, especially with a global uh, broadcast, having people listening at the same time, feeling an emotion, a Mm -hmm. collective consciousness that is created It's like, you know, when was the last time? that you drove down the freeway and you looked over to the next car next to you and let's say phil collins you know something in the air tonight it's playing and you know who's tuned to the same station because everybody's <laughs> doing that <laughs> just like you are you know that that collective consciousness you know it's really missing nowadays because you know, I, even though I, I enjoy the accessibility of music in yeah. real time to hear that, there's something to be said about tuning in because that's what you're doing. You're tuning in to a consciousness that is collective within the people that share the same tastes and frequency as you do.
0: It's, it's, it's amazing to, like, hear you on that uh, because – I feel like, you know, through through the bands, you know, you're you're always like the rhythm section, like you're in the background. But I feel like I, I think you even have like a, a major in communications, right?
1: Yes. But then it, it's according to perception. Your perception is, a, let's say it's 3D perception, because like if we're in the background, that means that there is a foreground or even a, a third dimension to it. So let's say we're in a 3D, right? I look at it as. Your background, where you consider the background, it's actually the ground, rhythm section. It's at the very ground of, of the music. You know, I, I, I think of it uh, vertical, like stacks, like notes on top. And so we, I look at, it's interesting that your perception is that we are the background, which means that, that our ground all of a sudden becomes the back, more of the horizontal we become the horizon you know i mean i put it this way the the ground is the horizon because we're, we're flat and yours is more like the the vertical like the wall like like that second dimension
0: well, it's yeah. I, like I said, I'm I'm glad that you more than a lot of people, you've taken to the world of podcasting mm-hmm. and broadcasting, like we just mentioned. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and and uh I'll always bring up listening to you on uh, Uncle Joey's podcast, where like I was like, oh shit, I'm like Joey got Rudy Sarzo, and from there, like I I, I transformed from really appreciating the music that you've been a part of to just the personality and your opinions. And then from there, you know, you started doing the dash. And I think it's so important to capture these conversations because I, I listening to your Frankie episode, I think is so important because you like it's such a time capsule that you can go back and listen to to this, you know, friend that, that you've had such a rich history with and, and, and it's always going to be there. So I, I love that you, you do that.
1: Thank you, thank you so much. You know, I, I, you know, what you guys are doing and what everybody else is doing, uh, documenting an oral history of, uh, of people, not just musicians, but people in general. When I, I see, I started out with a dash, uh, and to answer your question, well, I'm sorry, uh, like 10 minutes ago, yes, I do have a background <laughs> in, in mass communication. That, that was my subject in college. I was inducted in the uh, Miami-Dade College Hall of Fame last year 2020 <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah so you know it's it's yeah it's always been a passion for me it's it's music is part of the human experience and the human experiences of course mass communication is such a big uh covers so much ground about the human experience because it's about that communication and sharing and and what you're doing and everybody else is doing podcast documenting an oral oral history of individuals you know i started out with the dash uh, my, my show The Dash uh, it wasn't even a show it was just a podcast there was no music to me a show has to have a little bit of music in there you know and uh, so I started with, with The Dash and I call it The Dash because I started attending uh, services f- for I'd right, say Ronnie James Deal, Lemmy Jimmy Baines you know bandmates and, and colleagues and everybody was saying all these wonderful things about the individual and I thought wouldn't it be nice if they will be here to, to hear that, to listen to that. So when I started doing the podcast, it was call it dash because it's it's that line between in a headstone between birth date and death date. It's life. That's that's the, that's what's important to me about that. How big is that dash? You know, how well lived is that dash? And it's and to have you know people be able to document that in their own words. I did two of them with Frankie. I did uh, I did the uh, the dash podcast with him, and that was the first one. And then when when Harlan Henriksen, the uh, the uh, the CEO of Monsters of Rock, which I you know I got some great memories of playing Monsters of Rock festival in uh, in, in England, Donington with uh, with White Snake in 1990, and and you know the cruises and everything. So it's a brand that I really trust and I, I really appreciate when he offered me to bring. The podcast into a radio show format for for Monsters of Rock radio, I I, I just jumped right in, and ironically, it's on the Dash Network. So
2: you know. I know, I, yeah, that's
0: so uh, that's so awesome, and it's funny that you say a brand you could trust because Monsters of Rock, yeah. like growing up, yeah. so like I was probably. I'm 43. So like anytime we like we, we were we were MTV kids. So we, we yeah. would watch these these like uh, gigantic shows that were taking place, but they were like not anywhere near like uh, Long Island, New York. <laughs> so we would be like, oh, shit, like we can't wait to like to go. But now these shows now live on on youtube so like sometimes like I'll, I'll put them on and i'll be like oh man here's quiet riot at like the you know the uh um the, the day on the green and stuff like that you right. know
1: oh yeah the, uh, the s festival yeah. yeah
0: yeah yeah like how yeah yeah you yeah. know it's it's another way it's like just amazing that these things live on and i don't know if you ever go back and watch uh you know like if you're like skimming through youtube i mean do you ever like just put that on just just as a memory
1: uh that's interesting. I I use it as a as a as a be able to plug into certain consciousness that I, with different bands. By consciousness, I really mean, and and I don't know if you, if you guys you know have ever. Talk, are you, are you guys musicians? Are you are you in a band situation? Okay, yeah. okay. Not anyone, okay. so was. okay. Well, I mean, yeah. So you guys understand this, you know? Any band that becomes successful is because even before success appears and it's a reality because you focus in it long enough, you work hard enough that it becomes a reality before that, there's a consciousness that the reason why all of us were together in a band is because of the music. That's it. It has nothing to do with anything outside of that thought music. Right. And, and, and I like to listen to bands that, that, life rec recordings that were captured while well, that consciousness was pure oh, yeah mm-hmm. pure it's yeah. we're all here because and so yes I do I do go back and revisit that because there's a certain energy that exists and in that moment that w- might never get recaptured unless there's a collective uh, effort by every single individual to refocus on that consciousness that led the band to success and led the band to connect. See, the reason why bands become successful is because, let's say, ACDC. ACDC has a collective consciousness that you can wear an ACDC T-shirt and you walk down the street and people are going to connect with that. And they're going to see you completely different than they would see you if you were wearing, you know, just, just the plain white t shirt
0: yeah yeah, right, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So true. My people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and all of a sudden you're trustworthy. All of a sudden you have a certain element about you, even though the the person that looks at you might have never met you before, but there's a trust factor, there's a connectivity factor with you, just because you happen to 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 embrace a specific. Musical consciousness, and I see this more than in politics. You rarely see anybody, if ever, probably maybe during elections, some political T-shirts. You know, no, you see rock band T-shirts. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> you, you know? I, because, I, I've always,
0: I mentioned that. It's a weird thing. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, no, no, it's not weird. It's, it's, I'll explain to you. Because I study this. And, okay. and I, I, I can give you a, my perception, which is not weird. Which is not weird. It's a, it's, it's, something that it just doesn't, it's not because it, it does, it gets, it might get overlooked. It gets overlooked because like breathing. Breathing gets overlooked. We how, how often a day do we think about, hey, what, we're breathing? Oh, so let me maybe do it right. Or no, we just breathe. And music, we just listen to music. We don't even think about it. We just go automatic. It's not, it's not that we're programmed to do that no i think it's because it's such a fundamental need just like breathing and eating we eat because we don't even think about it i'm hungry i'm going to eat there's no question about it you know yeah. it's not thought you know yeah. so listening to music resonating with that frequency is, is is part of our human experience you know so so connecting with, with 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 that with that logo with that consciousness is something that again goes back to what i was talking about you could, create this this massive collective experience that people gravitate towards. And it's the same experience as when you stand on stage, you play, let's say, in front of 10,000 people. I have never thought of like, oh, I wonder how many are of this political party, how many are of that political party and where are they mingling? Uh, Or are they, because what we're doing, no matter what, our thought is outside of that experience of coming to a live show is that what we, we have one, one purpose is to resonate with the music that whoever's playing on stage is giving us is projecting through the PA, the huge PA system, you know, because as you know, what's happening on stage is, it has very little to do with what what the the, the house engineer has actually you're mixed in right. there. You're right. Yeah, got that mixed, You're you know?
0: right. That's why you're like, wait, does this sound good? Well, I mean, when yeah. we play, because yeah. I when I play local, we always look out. We're like,
1: does that sound good? <laughs> yeah, ex- don't, we don't know. Yeah, we, yeah, we yeah. only know that we're making music, and 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 then it's being amplified. It Goes through massive amplifiers to project that right. Yeah because you want to reach as many people as possible. You know, like the worst experience you could really have is to stand in front of the stage. Because first of all, nowadays you don't hear, you know, a lot of the bands are playing, you know, just direct into some kind of an emulator or something. And then the, and then if you stand back, actually, if you're around the area where the the, uh, the engineer is, that's where you want to be. because That's the best sound, right? That's the sweet
0: spot. Sweet spot, sweet spot yeah. for sure.
1: Yeah, So yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I um, one of the things that I that I wanted to bring up to you was, um, y- you know, y- you're talking about music being a unifier. So growing up, you know, like you came from Cuba and and to mm. me, like you are the epitome of like the American success story. Mm. Like you came and and you transcended like any ethnicity or anything like that. You, you're part of the American fabric now. Like when people know Rudy Sarzo, they just they know music and it's beyond like anything. It's such a, it's such a like universal language, you know, and, and I know just recently you put out a song called Tears of an Immigrant. Um, Mm. Can you just give us like a rundown as to how that came about?
1: Yeah. How it came about, you know, the word immigrant has, has gotten a, such a uh, both a positive and a negative connotation. You know, it's, it's uh, just because it can be when you're talking about about fundamental human rights, the right to be free, freedom should have no political agenda. Freedom is freedom, you know, because it's not about politics. You know, you could have, you, you could be living in a free, in a country that allows you freedom, but still have a, a I, I get it. okay, we'll it would be the, the opposite of freedom because I hate to use the word slavery it's <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. such an ugly word, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. even though I I am not, I am not ignoring the fact that slavery exists or has existed in many different, you know, permutations, but it's such an ugly word that I just rather, okay, so when you're free and then when you're not free, what would you consider that? Oh, under a, a totalitarian government, let's see a totalitarian, you know, uh, regime or whatever you want to call it you know it's everybody has the right to be free you know and my family came to the united states uh and we came here in between the bay of pigs we were in cuba during bay of pigs and then we came to miami and then the missile crisis happened and uh a lot of people are not aware of what the missile crisis, the October missile crisis was, and in a nutshell, and this is documented for many decades, almost 60, almost six decades, um, the fact that the Cuban government ha- allowed Russian n- nuclear missiles in the island and they were aimed 90 miles away from, from, from the United States, Key West, right? And that start, that's what triggered the embargo. Now the embargo is, is, is actually what it prohibits. It's some companies, not all of them, but because, you know, the United States gives you know, humanitarian relief and to, to Cuba when, when the time is, uh, when it's necessary, or when even when the Cuban government accepts it, because a lot of times they don't want that, that uh, assistance. And uh, and also the, uh, the US government allows, allows families or anybody from the United States to send money to Cuba. You know, that, that's not an issue. What, what the embargo does is prohibits uh, Cuba as a communist country becoming a favorite nation, which means that once you become a favorite nation, just be like many other countries in South America, Central America and the Caribbean, they they get financial uh, money they get money taxpayer money given to them you know actually to the cuban communist you know government and that's what the embargo stands for but you know the united states gets most of their goods from china if you walk into walmart everything is made in china there's no embargo on cuba buying goods from china or any other country canada mexico the rest of the world. So that's what the embargo means, you know, in reality. And it was there just, you know, John F. Kennedy put it in place to retaliate against, you know, having those uh, n- nuclear missiles. So, you know, talking about the whole immigrant experience, I, I just wanted to tell you about what it was. You know, my, my family gave up everything for freedom. You can't, you can't buy freedom, you can buy food, you can buy necessities, but you can't go to a store and buy freedom. Freedom, yeah. freedom is something you, you have to fight for, somehow, some way to, to get it and then to keep it. You know? And I learned that at a very early age. So, um, so my making the video and writing the song, was just as a tribute to my parents. And then by being a tribute to my parents, it's a tribute to every, every family. That that would sacrifice everything to raise their children in freedom.
0: Yeah, I love I love the song. Very catchy. You know, come on, come on, come on. It, it almost even what? had like a tinge of like Bowie in there, too. You know, it's uh, it's,
1: it's actually I, I, I'm, I'm sorry because of my accent. it it, it's actually how long oh how How okay okay okay. how long how long but you know with my with my accent
0: to to us hey listen to us it's all melody you know so (laughs) yeah exactly Yeah, for sure the melody like stuck out too so and i'm first generation man you know my my my, my dad's colombian my mom's dominican so oh wow yeah yeah um awesome langan
2: yeah um i'm happy to say i i read your uh Fantastic book, Off the Rails, which I highly recommend to anyone who hasn't. It's available everywhere, uh, chronicling uh, your time in Ozzy and Quiet Riot and your relationship with Randy Rhodes. I was wondering if you could talk about, going back to your early days, um, getting to L.A. at 27 via Cuba, Miami, New Jersey, and you end up in L.A., if you could talk about what the strip and the scene was, talking about a collective consciousness like before, what the strip yeah. was like at that time. Yeah,
1: it was it was a mixture of collective consciousness and and, and uh, competition. Mm, competition yeah. breeds champions. Yeah, I truly yeah. I truly believe in, in in you know friendly competition. I mean, you see boxers beat beat each other up, and at the <laughs> end, at the end of the fight, they hug each other because without that great opponent, you're not going to rise to the occasion so true yeah you know and, and I, I, that's what sports is based on you know the I, one guy moving a little puck from this here to there to you know and it's that that you know i i years ago i read a book uh, i keep forgetting the title but basically what i got out of it is the difference between men and women you know men according to this book and it's something that i do gravitate to, to this consciousness the consciousness of being a man is is to be it's it's to challenge each other we challenge each other our best friends will challenge us at a very early age in school you know that's how we start in the playground we get challenged and they say yeah i like this guy he challenged he gets the best out of me you know and you become pals and you might be like musicians you like one guy learns one chord, and you like teach me that. And I said, no, you gotta figure it out for yourself. <laughs> and then you do, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Yeah. And 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 women will test you. My favorite teachers in school were female because they were always testing me. My mom taught me what my teachers were not or were not capable of teaching me, and in such limited amount of time, my mom could like after school when I was done with my uh, with my homework, she would teach me and test me. She's not challenging. She, she's sharing information and then she's gonna test to make sure that I retain that. You know, girlfriends, when 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 you're when you're a kid, the first thing they want to they want to know, do you love me? Yes I do. Well show me. You know, <laughs> so they're testing you. And you know your your whole life you're gonna be tested by females because they wanna make sure that you according to what their knowledge that they're sharing with you, because women know things. They're better survivalists than we are, mm. you know, because they're, I think that they're smarter than we are. They look at things from a whole different angle. And for for years, I did not understand that. I, I was more like, what can, you know, what can my girlfriend or my wife be more like me, you know, think ah. like me. And oh. then I, I say, wait a minute, we, we're not supposed to. It's a whole different that pattern, you know, we're wired different, you know. Wow. And I'm talking about the 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 uh, traditional thought of consciousness of male and female. Yeah 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 that's funny Because yeah. I, 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 I don't want to I, I don't want to offend anybody out there. Nah, no, yeah, it's we,
0: not. We, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I've yeah. had that thought too like you know it's like I've had that conversation and to me I'm thinking like why can't she just be rational like me? <laughs> She's just like <laughs> That is so funny that they, you know, but uh, yeah, know. You, you, like the, just growing up, like you said, uh, uh, you know, once you get to the strip, you, um, it's just like so many bands were made there, and, and I think like when you really think about it, um, like what what was like the heyday, like the very beginning was like probably like eighty two, because it was even after like Ozzy, like the the whole like once you joined yeah. Ozzy, like the, when when do you feel like the the Sunset Strip really took off or started? you know, nurturing?
1: Yeah, you know, When I got there in the 70s, it was already okay buzzing. Mm. Yeah, I, the Sunset Strip has always been buzzing. I mean, if you look at the 60s with the whiskey, <laughs> with every great iconic band playing that iconic today, they played at the whiskey as some kind of a, you know, a brand new act. Anybody from ACDC to Led Zeppelin to Jimi Hendrix to The Doors, who were the doors, in house yeah, band, yeah. Yep, sure. you know, and, and then Quiet Ride later on with 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 Randy, we play there, and it's, it's 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 it was always buzzing as far as you know when when the existence of the Strip as a rock and roll scene, because originally it was more of the Sinatra. Crowd like You're playing right. at Cyros, and then Cirrus became a rock club, or or so, or I think it's the it's comedy store now. You know, so you know it went through different changes as the consciousness, and I keep saying consciousness because I believe that's what it's all about. It's it, you call it the, the the mentality, the mindset, you know, what brings people together to one place. I mean, the reason why I travel to LA is because that's the consciousness that I wanted to be a part of, you know, plus the weather was much better than anywhere yeah. else, you know, but I figure, you know, this is where the music scene is. And if I'm going to get into a great band, like I did with quiet riot, or if I'm going to like, you know, let people know that I exist, because unless you make yourself visible and are part of that consciousness, you're, you do not exist.
0: And, and fads, like like music comes and goes, and you saw, like, let's say, um, disco, and then you saw punk rock. So did you, like, w- when you're knee-deep in, in something like disco, do you ever feel like it's ever going to go away? Do you feel like this is just the way it is? Uh, same thing with punk.
1: Okay. See, the music does, in, in my opinion, this is the, my, my perception, and I'm going to explain it to you. And, of course, you, know, you have your own perception, and you can explain it to me, you know. And, uh, and there's no argument. That's the way you see it, and this is the way I see it. The way I see it is, it's consciousness, right? Let's say, well, let's, let's just just start with the Beatles, right? The Beatles 1964 on Ed Sullivan, it create, it, that was the big bang. Of course, we had Chuck Berry, we have Little Richard, we had Jerry Lee Lewis, we had Elvis, Buddy Holly, which helped create the Beatles' own consciousness. But because of lack of mass communication, and even though all those bands did perform at the Ed Sullivan show, at the time of the 50s, the US government, and I'm not trying to be you know conspiracy here, I'm gonna give you facts. Okay. Here's what happened. Elvis went to, to the army, right? Buddy Holly died in a plane crash. Uh Jerry Lee Lewis married his cousin and became like, we're not going to, you know, this guy (laughs) out of here. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Little Richard became a minister and Chuck Berry went to jail. That wiped out rock and roll. It's like they took the pillars of rock and roll and just like, that's right. The temple went down. Okay. So here comes these guys who from Liverpool who were buying records that sailors were bringing in. And another thing is, Brian Epstein owned the, the store NEMS, who became their manager, that brought in those records, right? Those records that, because there's no radio. I went to England in 1981. There was only two or three radio stations. You have buttons. You play BBC One, BBC Two, and then something else, right? That's all you, you know. So it was not like we had rock radio and we could listen to rock and roll. No, it, it didn't exist, right? So these guys brought in this this consciousness of the temple or a civilization you know it's like if you look at the mayans right let's say for example you go to aztec or mayan ruins there's a temple there and there was a consciousness there that kind of like went went with the ruins so these guys tap into that because the music is like finding relics oh these guys made these records like say chuck berry but he's not touring anymore because he's in jail and he can't tour whatever But we got the music, we got the records, we're gonna play his songs. So we're gonna keep the music alive. And from doing that, right? Whether it's Little Richard, who is not even making records anymore because it's a minister, or Julie Lewis, it's like, you know, with his cousin, all that. But the music remains. Okay, so you take that, you build that. And then all of a sudden, just when you thought rock and roll had disappeared and is dead and gone, boom. Beatles on Ed Sullivan, the big bang. That changed everything.
0: That changed everything.
1: It's a, because my generation—I was 13 years old. I was entering puberty,
0: <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> and I see these girls in the audience. See, if the camera would have never panned to the girls, it might have been a whole different experience. was <laughs> just four guys, four dudes playing—you know—playing some music, right? Well, once you, the camera goes to the girls, you go, "Holy shit!" I want that. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? So then all the kids in my in my in my in my school, we're all going through puberty. And all of a sudden it's like, hey, if you wanna you wanna make the girls scream in your school, you're gonna comb your hair down, right? And you're gonna look like a beetle or act like a beetle. And all of a sudden, it's now wait-wait a minute, that's not enough. We have to make music. We have to make music like like the Beatles do, you know. So then. That that was like the big band, you know? And then, you know, five years, as I'm entering, being a teenager past puberty, in comes Led Zeppelin and Jimi Hendrix. I go, we're serious now here. This is not just teenage puberty here. This is like manhood. This is what (laughs) men play and sound like, and this is what they sing about. It's a whole different consciousness now, right? Plus, there is the doors, the dark side of life, because my generation, the same way that went through puberty with the Beatles, now we do that daily walk to the, to the mailbox. See if that draft letter came in. Wow. To go to the draft, to go to Vietnam. Right? That's my generation. Wow. You know, yeah. Some of my friends, went to Vietnam, some did not make it. Uh, I'm blessed that I did not have to see war in my lifetime, witness it, be part of it, become, you know, do that. I respect those who did and I gave the, their lives and and I honor that. But a lot of them did not make it. That's, that was my generation. My generation live every day like there's no tomorrow, you know, because a lot of my friends did not have a tomorrow. You know, so you go through that, Vietnam War ends, you get disco. You get disco, right? Almost immediately, you know, you go from like Led Zeppelin to yes to cooling the gang, basically, right? Because actually, it was a celebration of liberation, of not having to worry about that, you know. Live life like there's no tomorrow because now you were you were doing that, without the threat. It was a celebration of living life that there's no tomorrow, rather than living life that like there's no tomorrow because you might be shipped off to Vietnam and you might die, right? So, it, so the party continues, but for a whole different reason, right? And it was a lot of liberation, liberation, uh, especially if you look at the uh, the. Uh, the liberation of the gay movement that came out of New York Stonewall, you know. I was living in Florida at the time, and uh, we went from being able to play in rock clubs to the next day, the uh, the club owner would come with the uh, with a new set list of songs that he wanted to hear, and they were all dance disco songs. Because they looked at it and say, "Wait a minute, we sell so booze, booths, boozeier. How can we make people drink more? They dance more, they sweat more. Don't play." You know, don't play Freebird because people are going to stand there watching you play guitar yeah, rather yeah. than to dance to the music and sweat. This is not a concert. So true. Not yeah, a yeah. concert hall. You know, this is a we're a in the business of selling booze here. OK, so everything became disco. Now, for me as a bass player, some of the greatest bass lines came out of disco. But so good. I, yeah, I I am a rocker. You know, and I do appreciate being able, you know, having had played those, those bass lines. But at the, at the end of the day, my consciousness is I'm a rocker because to me, rock is rooted in, in blues and blues is the music of freedom, freedom, right? And freedom and hope and all of that. And so th- that's why I play rock. You know, I could have played salsa or could have played anything like that, but to me, in my consciousness of what salsa music like that means it's kinda of like, you know, keep keep the people dancing and drinking yes. and, and they're not gonna, you know, and will be satisfied, my- which is
0: my dad my, like whenever i play I, I like send him he stopped saying it cuz i'm so old now but like he would always be like that sounds good but can you throw some like congas in there and i'm like <laughs> but i'm like we're like a punk rock band uh, which means nothing <laughs> yeah. to which means nothing to my dad you know but he was like yeah he's like that's cool he's like but maybe like like he he has the funniest critiques but i think he stopped now but he he just always wanted like latin influence in my music yeah um but like i'm like you like i'm like i'm i'm a rocker that's
2: that's the beauty of music though and rudy like you have this you know funk background you know Mm. you have a background on that and then here you have you know when you go into ozzy randy rhodes coming with this classical thing yet Mm. it all merges into this beautiful symphony you know and uh you guys had if you could talk a little bit i know um about playing with him and stuff because one thing i really enjoyed about the book is growing Mm. up i didn't get to know it was a little bit ahead of my yeah. uh, mm-hmm. my era, so I didn't get to know what mm-hmm. Randy was like, and you didn't have all this information you do now. So th- I loved about yeah. this book was I learned a lot about, obviously you, but him and even mm-hmm. Ozzy and Sharon, and if you could speak a little bit about uh, playing.
1: Yeah, yeah, to to really uh, put it into, uh, in, in, a, in a very big nutshell. Mm. <laughs> um, uh, okay. I played with two different Randy Rhodes. I played with Randy Rhodes and In Quiet Riot. Yeah. And even though getting a record deal for some of us, like let's say Randy, was not really a matter of survival. For me, it was. I mean, I left my home in Miami, kind of like burned the ship. Once I got to LA, I wasn't leaving. I mean, I did leave a couple of times because I kept running out of money. So I went back on the road, but knowing that I was going on the road to make some money in clubs outside of California so I could make money and come back and pursue, continue pursuing, you know? So yeah, in my mind, I have burned the ship that I was not going back to Miami to play disco or whatever, you know, top 40 clubs. I was gonna pursue a, 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 a career with a, with a rock band, original music in, in Los Angeles. And um, so that was that was what Quiet Riot was all about, that consciousness. We're going to get a record local record deal because there was a two albums released in Japan that didn't do anything that, you know, back in the day, an album in Japan. just Like, who cares? You know, people wouldn't even know about it, you know, because it was just for that market. You know, why does that that happen,
0: though, by the way? Like, why? Like, is it just like an offer and you're like, fuck it, we'll take it?
1: Well, we had a manager at the time and he went to different uh, record companies and and he had he knew somebody at, at, in Japan, I guess, because somehow he got a record deal in Japan. Okay. See, what happened with that record deal in Japan, it gave them uh, a budget to make a record so they could actually shop it to other labels in the United States because okay. it's less of a risk for a record company if somebody shows up with a finished product and they go here, here it is, rather than. Okay, I like the guys uh, on stage. Uh, I'm gonna put them together with this producer and, and these maybe these co-writers and this engineer, and hopefully we'll get a good record out of them. We can make our money back. So there's a lot of you know uh, unknown territory once you go in that direction. But if somebody shows up, let's say Led Zeppelin one, yeah, which yeah they recorded the record first and they say went to the record companies and say here we got this. Mm-hmm. You win it. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a whole different
2: decision yeah.
1: than than imagining what what the what the final product is going to sound like. So uh, that's that's what we experienced with Randy. There, there was a lot of uh, uh, focusing on on the consciousness of what Quiet Riot was all about, what it stood for, because it was more like a lifestyle music. Like if you look at Van Halen, Van Halen originally was a lifestyle band. What they sold was the California experience. They were like, if you put together the Beach Boys and the, the doors, which did the same thing. The Beach Boys were the the, the biggest markers of Cal- of Southern California beach style, you know, yeah. lifestyle. And the doors was more like the darker side, like, you know, if you live on the strip or in Hollywood, this is what you're gonna experience, you know. And quite right, we were on Van Halen with a blend of both in my eyes. You know, they had they they, they could, you know, like the Uh, they had a few songs that that touch on the dark side of living you know Mm -hmm. in Hollywood West Hollywood and all of that and uh, like songs like Ain't Talking About Love if you listen to to lyrics you know there's there's a lot of about that you know
0: that's that's an interesting comparison I love it by the way I think it's yeah it's pretty dead on
1: (laughs) yeah but, but you know that's that's what I got from even meeting the, before I met those guys, you know they 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 were in they were in touch with the reality of 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 of, uh, <sighs> of the pitfalls of living in Los Angeles, you know, uh, surviving basically. And which is, there were very few musicians that I met, especially let's say the guys in Choir Riot, Kevin, Randy, and Drew. They were from 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 Los Angeles. You know, everybody else that I met were from somewhere else that wanted to be part of what was going on in LA in the seventies. You know, and uh, I gotta tell you, the it was it was a single consciousness. Everybody wanted to make it. Everybody wanted to get that record deal, and there was a lot of competition. But you never knew that the guy that that the band that you were competing with today, a couple of weeks later, you're going to be in that band. So it cannot be. Seek and destroy type of attitude. It had to be like com- friendly competition. Friendly, basically. yeah,
0: yeah, for sure. That makes yeah.
1: sense. Yeah, yeah, but nevertheless, we we knew that, especially towards the end of of the set, like '79, after Van Halen got signed, and then they shut the door on rock locally, as far as bands getting signed, and then punk and new wave became the focus. So we knew. And, you know, and at the same time that we were at Choir Riot was trying to get that record deal with Randy, there were bands like, there was an incarnation of Rat around. There was uh, a Muddly Crew incarnation called London. There was Dokken. There was a incarnation of, Will we Blackie Lawless was out there, you know, trying to get a record deal. And so was uh, Ray White. So it was basically the same the same bands that came out of the the first wave of the, Sunset Strip scene that got record deals in the early '80s. After Choir Riot had the uh, the success with Metal Health, so it's a that that was the Choir Riot Randy Rhodes that I that I play with. You know, he was uh it was focusing on being a teacher. He loved teaching at his mom's school, Musonia, and also part of the Choir Riot consciousness of trying to get a record deal, but uh. It wasn't until Randy joined Ozzy that without having that that survival mode that he was in about, you know, the next song I I write with Quiet Riot has got to please the record company because how long can we keep 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 making demos? You know, how long can you bang your head against the wall to, to get the acceptance of one person in one in one label? Yeah. Because yeah. you just go to one guy, Yeah, if you're lucky that he wants to hear, and you go to his office and he's got a desk full of tapes. You know, it's the 70s, so cassettes were very popular then. <laughs> yeah. So you got cassette tapes everywhere. <laughs> and you know, he hasn't listened to everything. So you're gonna, you could be just another cassette on the pile. So you make sure he listens to the song while you're there, you know, somehow talk him into it, you know. And so, once he was not under that pressure and Ozzy gave him the freedom to freedom to be who he was, be himself, that's where all, all of that came out. How did all those, that great music.
0: How did those worlds cross? Cause I don't know, like how Randy ended
1: up meeting Ozzy. And, oh, and- yeah, it's, uh, um, we were still, you know, Quiet Riot was still a band. And uh, this is late 79, uh, almost November. Yeah, around November, October, October, October of 79. And, and Ozzy had just basically run out of guitar players to audition in Los Angeles. And there was this bass player. There is this bass player. Uh, he was not in Slaughter at the time, but he was in another band. I think it was called Bad, A- Bad Axe mm. or something like that. And Dana Strung who was helping Ozzy find local musicians to put together his band. And uh, so Dana kept telling Ozzy, you got to hear Randy Rose, man. He's the guy you're looking for. And but, but every time Dana would call Randy, Randy would ignore him because, you know, he just wasn't really in- interested in leaving home, leaving his family, his mom. You know, he was leaving at home with his mom and his brother, Kelly. And he wasn't interested in that. And he, and he was still, you know, hoping that Choir Riot would get signed. And it was actually his mom that talked him him into, after he got the audition, wow. uh, to actually doing it, leaving uh, California, because she knew that if Randy stayed there, he was just going to burn out, you know, trying, trying to help Choir Riot get a record deal, because, just because of the industry. So here you have, he's being offered here you're going to be the guitar player in a band that already has a record deal with a singer that already has a legacy with Black Sabbath. So it was a no-brainer, really. You know, So she talked him into it, and, uh, and that's when he joined Ozzy. And,
2: and after he got it, he came back for, y- for you. He was asked about um, drummers or bass players, I think was the story. No, right?
1: actually, actually, uh, uh, Tommy w- didn- did not have to audition. He already mm. had the gig when I- when I joined. Uh, it's Tommy Aldridge, you know, <laughs> even sure. 40 years ago. He was still Tommy Aldridge, you know, <laughs> yeah. and uh, even back then. And uh, so me, I I had no, I had no resume. I was basically, I was not just basically, I mean, my reality was I was a guy sleeping on Kevin Dubrow's spare bedroom on the floor. Nothing. I, The only thing I had done at that time is I, I had been playing with Choir Riot with Randy in L.A., as far as the resume though, things that I could write on the resume, sure, you sure. Know, yeah. Yeah, Because I, I, I have been playing for over 10 years by by then, but that didn't matter. Play with who? No, who cares? Mm-hmm. So and I was at, at the moment, I was a, a currently a member of the band called Angel. But we didn't have a record deal, so nobody cares, you know. <laughs> so it was my resume was non-existent. So it was only because Randy. Kept insisting to Ozzy that I was the guy that they were looking for, even though Sharon had already called me, and I I made a, a bad, you know, bad decision. Just like you know, off I shot off my hip, you know, like like no, thank you, Sharon. Uh, I can't co- come down to audition because um, I'm playing with a band called Angel. I'm very happy, and before I could. Finish my sentence. You hung up on me. Uh, I I get it. I get it though. Like if you're
0: if you're in a band and you believe in your band, you know, like you're like no, like I want I'm gonna make it with this band. You know, like this is these are the songs. These are my guys. I don't want to go play someone else's songs Yeah, Um, yeah.
1: That's that's a collective collective consciousness that you all you guys believe in it. Yeah. Everything you you know. Once you're all together. I'm not I'm not talking about when, when you guys go home and you have to like you know you know be aware of your family needs of your family's needs that you're still thinking about the band yeah you're thinking about the band but this is what you're focusing on right now you're focusing but as uh, so long as you guys are together there's that consciousness that exists and that's what you believe in you know so i i turn it down and the, and the next day ozzy called me back and by then kevin who I was living with had yelled at me and said, What are you doing? You're crazy. You're sleeping on this floor. You know, you could have played with Randy again, which is one yeah. thought that did not come through through my mind when I made that stupid quick decision. But 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 I was uh Ozzy called me back, and that's when I got the second chance to actually get that one audition. And uh, see what what they were looking for it was, you know, of course, you know, somebody who could play play the bass, but you know, I had to be somebody who didn't have an, a drinking problem or, you know, was, I wasn't much of a drinker, especially back then, right before I joined Ozzy. Uh, and, and somebody who didn't do drugs, or somebody who could be a decent individual hanging out on the bus, and you know, things like that. Somebody who was not going to be a bad influence on Ozzy. On Ozzy, yeah. That's, that's what they were looking for. And Randy kept saying, hey, Rudy's the guy. Now, if they were looking for a bass player in, in Cleveland, it would have been a different outcome because they would have gotten somebody locally, but I happened to be the guy who fit those qualifications living in Los Angeles at the time
2: yeah Amazing. I you get the vibe that you were kind of the adult in the room a lot of the times in, in, in some of those crazy times uh, you know with these there's so many canceled dates and stuff like that and 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 you know not to leap ahead but I mean when you, eventually when you decided to leave all that to leave Ozzy and I'm sure Randy passing obviously had something to do with it and maybe the chaos got too much but that must have been a massive decision to leave such a, a sure thing to kind of leap into the abyss and go back with Quiet Riot and and at that time period
1: yeah that's a multi-level answer question uh
2: yeah. going back to the initial uh
1: to your first you know mention mm-hmm. is uh uh yeah uh, I would say Sharon was the adult okay. in the in that situation. I was brand new, so I I I made sure that I I was like a child in a room learning.
2: Mm.
1: I've always been, you know, I, put it this way, I've I've taught myself to be learnable, teachable, teachable. I am it's something that I had to work on because I, I could only learn if I if I pay attention to some that somebody's sharing something important with me or the fact that I can look at somebody else's perception from their, from their point of view and learn from that, you know? And uh, so that was my school. Oh my God. About the music industry, just about everything I learned. I learned from being in the same bus on tour, watching, watching Sharon run the show. And I say that because our responsibility, our musicians on stage were to, Paint the masterpiece every single night. Yeah. That's it. Every single show. You could actually put them all on the road. They're basically the same. Not because we we were striving for that standard every single night. And, and 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 we're trying to like, how can we make this better? You know, so but it had that consciousness, it had that Aussie consciousness. It really did, I'm telling you, we, we knew why we were there. And it wasn't just because of Ozzy's own legacy with, with, with Black Sabbath, no, it became something else. The Ozzy consciousness, it, it covers, well, look at the fan base, right? It connects with, with, the, with the planet. Ozzy can go anywhere in the world and be recognized. Yeah, sure. Because it resonates right? And how much more can we risk, can imagine us being in that right there in the circle where the energy comes from. We're right there. We're like, we're like, we're like atoms, atoms right there, right, of the band, of what the consciousness of, 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 uh, of Ozzy represents. We were right there in the middle of it. So I, we really understand and no matter what happened. Up until the day that Randy died, that Aussie consciousness remained intact. Especially when we hit the stage. It was what people gathered in front of the stage to witness. And while we were were traveling in a bus from city to city to deliver. Yeah. Yeah, there might have been certain things that happened Mm. off stage, you know. Certain disagreements that Randy did. not want to do a whole Black Sabbath record. I wrote about it in my book and all that. Yeah, I'm. I'm not denying that. But as soon as we hit that stage, it was that. Locked that's in. what you got. Right. Once Randy died, I it, it changed everything. It changed everything. That consciousness. It's almost like I. I couldn't even. I. I couldn't even find it anywhere. All I could do. I went into survival mode. Every night I was surviving the show emotionally. You know, so once... See, I have to like do a little sidebar here. The, the reason why, why I left Ozzy is because Kevin Dubrow asked me to play on a, on a, on a song called Thunderbird for a possible future release of an album. There was a yeah, choir riot did not exist at the time. It was put on hiatus. And after Randy passed away, that ended choir riot. I mean, I'm sorry. After Randy left to join Ozzy in 1979, what Kevin kept doing was called Dubrow. And he named it Dubrow because at the time musicians were trying to survive by doing multiple bands, playing with multiple bands, you know, Almost whatever like they could like today yeah, to make money. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just like today. Yeah, exactly. And um, so it was really very hard to get a commitment from anybody. You really have to like really, really, really believe in something, you know. And uh, but I'm just trying trying to go back to uh, yeah. to the space and time. Uh, so what happened? It was called Dubrow, and I I actually when I moved in with Kevin, I started playing in Dubrow, so I could pay the rent. <laughs> And, and he wrote a song called Thunderbird and I, you know, and I wrote the bass line for that. So I knew the song. And so I join Ozzy and then Randy passes away. Kevin calls me to play on, the, on Thunderbird and I walk in and, you know, I'm here is Frankie Benelli, who I have been playing with Frankie on and off since 1972. That's another story, but, <laughs> but nevertheless, you know, a bandmate, it's somebody I grew up with. He taught me how to be a bass player in a rhythm section, all of the above. That's Frankie was my mentor to my last day, to his last day, and so here's here's Frankie, here's Kevin, who of course I've been living with and playing with, and here's Carlos Cavazo, who I knew from the scene locally, you know, play. He was in a band called Snow, and now, now what? All of a sudden, what was missing for the last since Randy passed away, which was family. See, once Randy died, to me, what the nucleus of the Aussie family was missing, because everybody went into mourning individually. We cannot do a collective mourning because we cannot go into that consciousness. We could not take Ozzy down into that place with us. We had to keep everything light, right? Keep it light, keep him going, keep him moving, which is the reason why we went back on tours so quickly, 10 days after after the crash, because it was a matter of keeping Ozzy alive, you know? So everything was, keep, keep it light, but once I hit the stage, I couldn't help it. I would just go into a deep funk, playing the same set, set list, the same production, Same everything as it was before Randy passed away, but Randy wasn't there. So once I got together with my friends and we played that song and I I, I go beyond that with my family, that was the family. I found the family again. I found what I had lost a few months before and anything that you lose uh, some, some point in life, you're going to start looking for it. Yeah.
0: And that, you know, song, that song in particular too, very heavy. I had no idea. Um, I read that, uh, you know, he, it was a song that he started writing uh, and then finished it by adding a third verse, I guess, uh, because I guess he started writing it originally when Randy left, right?
1: Well, it, it was written when, when when I was playing with him, You we used to perform that song live. So yeah, he added that, that you know, to make it more personal about yeah. Randy, you know, and uh. So that song brought me back to playing with what became the Metal health version of Quiet Riot. And then there were, there was, you know, there was a, we, we we cut it really quickly and they have booked a longer session. So the producer, Spencer Proffer and the guys in the band kept asking me, hey, do you remember any of the old songs? Now by old songs were one song, Silic Black Cadillac that wound up on the Metal Health Record that was actually a Quiet riot, Randy Rhodes era song that Kevin wrote. So, of course, I knew that. And we tracked it and did a couple of other songs that were DuBrow songs that I used to play with Kevin that wound up on the Metal Health Records. By the time I left the session, I had enough of the experience of getting back to a family atmosphere that was missing in my life. You know, that, you know, a band to me is a family that you pick.
2: Sure, sure.
1: You know, and not that we were not a family in Aussie, but it was a family in crisis. Yeah, right. You know, and I, I didn't know how to deal with that, and I and my survival. Uh, t- told me, you know, that sense of survival told me you, you have to, you know, you, you have to move on. You can't. I could not keep going on stage as a robot. Right. emotionally a robot and just not even feeling the music anymore. There's a big difference about feeling it or not feeling it. And I, and I know when people are not feeling it because I don't feel it when they play it.
0: Yeah. Right. And the whole, yeah. I mean, the yeah. whole point of playing music too, right. Is to like have fun. Like this is, this is what we love to do. This right. is what yeah. you do. And uh, yeah. You know, what a
2: decision it turned out to be. I mean, yeah. Like, uh, I right? mean, you, you, you release. You go back, you record Metal Health with, with mm. Quiet Riot. Mm. It comes out, the US Festival mm. time. Metal yeah. becomes this... It, I mean, you were right at the cusp of the, the explosion yeah. of metal in the United States. I mean, it, you must yeah. have been like, wow, I guess uh, I made the right call here.
1: <laughs> no, no, I, I didn't make the right call. I made the only call that I could make if I wanted to keep my sanity and, and, and keep the joy of, of making music, which is sure. the reason why why I started to, you know to go on, on, on a career, music career, you know, on the musical path. And it was it was the only decision I could make, you know, and i i and I was so glad that that I made it. Uh for many reasons, you know, uh, but see, I looked at it I, completely different because I I'm aware of the of the groundwork that before that MTV explosion. Yeah, MTV for sure. Yeah, but there was a groundwork that bands like Ozzy, and I would say very few other bands, because there was, you know, with Randy, Randy, Randy ushered in the new era of shredders, because the last shredder was Eddie Van Halen, and then came punk, and new wave, no right. more shredders, right? So here you have Bam, a new one, Randy Rhodes, and he ushered that which is one of the reasons why I see him being inducted into a Hall of Fame so fitting because of his contribution. Without Randy, you might not have 75% of the shredders that came from the 80s era. Sure. Yep. Or, or there would have not been the hall pass that Randy gave guitar players to say, yes, you can play, you can express yourself Again, playing guitar the way that you want to, because that's what he did. That's what I witnessed. It was anything that Randy composed and played was because he wanted to. It's not because anybody being a record company or Ozzy or any other member, management, businesses, anybody told him to play that. That was him. Freedom of expression, total freedom of expression.
0: Well, um, I, I didn't, you know, we don't want to keep you too long. I just wanted to bring up a couple of things. I, I just want to say the work on Slip of the Tongue is one of my, that's one of my favorite albums. I feel like, um, you know, the, the stuff you did with Whitesnake. Uh, do you have any memories of making that record or, or like what the writing process was as far as that was concerned or recording?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That, that was an really interesting uh, process because when we first started out, Vivian Campbell was in the band. And then he, uh, there was a departure. He wasn't there anymore. And then, of course, uh, David had written the bulk of the material, except for something like uh, Fool Free Loving, which was a, uh, a a cover of an earlier version of, of the song. I, I, don't, I don't know if you can call it a cover if the guy who wrote the song records yeah. it again, so yeah. <laughs> a, re-recording a re-recording of, his own composi- yeah. Yeah. of uh, a new version, yeah, yeah. Of, of his own composition. So, uh, uh, outside of that, it was all written with uh, with Adrian Vandenberg, and then Adrian gets injured during the uh, rhythm session, section section uh, uh, part of the of the recording process, and then Steve Vai comes in, and I think he did a beautiful job. Uh, reimagining what what Adrian had already played or composed, you know, he gave it his his uh, version of Stevie, you know, version of the record, and and it's it's one of my favorite things I've ever recorded, uh, just because it was ahead of its time, and you rarely get to record a music that is ahead of its time.
0: I thought, yeah, I I agree. I, I revisited when I knew we were going to have the conversation. And man, when I tell you uh, songs like Now You're Gone, The mm-hmm. Deeper the Love, uh, uh, Wings of the Storm, this mm-hmm. is a really fantastic, like, it, it's a really great record. Um, and I, it came out in 89, so I was 11. So to me, like this, this was part of like, almost like the end of like that MTV era stuff before mm-hmm. I started mm-hmm. getting into like, uh, more, uh, you know, other stuff. But like, yeah. I yeah. go back and I, I love this record and man, I just wanted to salute you on this one.
1: Yeah. You know, i got a question for you now, since you mentioned you're 11 and now this triggers the little, because we're talking about my own personal puberty being with the Beatles. And at eleven, did those uh, white snake videos accelerate <laughs> your puberty?
0: Yes. So oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, rest in peace, Tawny, Tawny for of sure. Course, of course, um, sister Tawny. She yeah. she was like, you know, growing up. She she uh, every time we make a video, my band makes a video i reference her because she was i don't know it's it's like this like you said it's this consciousness of of just okay. growing up these memories of like anytime we make a video it's like all right now we need someone on top of this what car <laughs>
2: video vixen era there was Bobby Brown yeah yeah.
0: yeah, Bobby Brown so it was that era like I grew up just in in enough time to catch a lot of that stuff um and really appreciate like I I write songs I'm a songwriter um so um I could go back and I I listened to these songs especially like bringing bringing up Bobby Brown I I thought Janie Lane was a great songwriter there was a lot Mm -hmm. of people from back then that wrote really great songs and somewhere along the way, um, I, and I wanted to bring this back to you, Rudy. Um, once Nirvana and these bands hit, like what was your perspective? Because like, I feel like um, there was a lot of bands that kind of like, you know, took a dip. They all came back because everyone appreciated now. Um, but what was your perspective around that time? Like the mid nineties?
1: Well, my perspective now It's different about those times, but my current perspective about those times, which is what I really like to focus on. I like to focus on the now, not on the before, but if I'm going to be analytical about it, I have more information now than I I would 30 years ago. So my information now about that time, it was that there was so much clutter of a certain consciousness that... That generation whose consciousness of the 80s had moved on to something else. There was so much of it. I mean, I remember in 1990 going on tour and everybody went out at the same time from Kiss to Muggly Crew to Judas Priest to White Snake to blah, 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 everybody. So we were just killing each other because there was only so much money to go around. This is right after the, uh, the market crash which had a major effect on the economy, right? So people just could not afford, you know, all of a sudden to buy tickets to watch everybody, you know? So what do you do when something like that happens? You, you have to kind of like, and this has come even from classical music. Music historically has a way of kind of like, not really destroying because you just use the platform of the, of the mu- of the period of music before you and you build on that. And you keep building on this, right? And and what happened was, uh, you know, just like the 60s were not like the 50s and the 70s were not like the 60s and the 80s were not like the the, yeah. the 70s. The 90s were not like like the 80s, you know? And even the 2000s were not like the 90s, you know? So everything, it's, it's it was a new, fresh consciousness. You have a new generation coming in and saying, we're taking control of MTV, right, now. So we're going for this because 10 years later, what you guys have been watching, that's all to us. We were babies. It's our world now, or at least as far as MTV goes, you know. And, and that's what happened. And that's simultaneously with decisions from the inside to, to stop sending sex, sexual messages to our teens because now we have an AIDS epidemic. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and we're sending the message of don't you know say no to sex. Meanwhile, we have all these video vixens out there, you know, creating all of this, stirring all these emotions in our in our kids. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So how can we do this? Oh, okay. Well, how about if we do this? Now, I'm not saying that this was a a uh, something that was created from like decisions made in a in a board you know boardroom but it did happen what happened was somehow some way there were no video vixens and grunge videos hmm. not really none but you could find the video vixens in gangster rap <sighs> now all of a sudden you can turn yeah. into rap music and it was all about I was watching everything. those too yeah <laughs> yeah everything that rock that 80s you know, Santa strip videos used to be about, now it's the gangster rap guys. Yeah. And there's something about, you know, <laughs> uh, humanity and puberty. It's been going on for thousands of years. It cannot be decided by somebody in a boardroom that all of a sudden, young males are not going to be seeking hot chicks and videos for, you know, for whatever reason it might be, you know, <laughs> but, yeah, but no. nevertheless, yeah, but that and was that, at the core.
0: And now, um, you know, things like M3 and uh, Rock, Rocklahoma, like, I feel like there's more of like a celebration. Like people look back at certain things and, and they remember those records. Like to me, like I said, even if I was like 10 or 11 around that time. I could still, you know, go back and listen to like all those records. And and now I look at it as on a pure, not image, but on a pure songwriting uh, platform. You know, like I just look at it. It's like, oh, you know what? Take away the videos. Take away like the look from a songwriting perspective. These songs were
1: really well written. Sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, a lot of them were co-written by, by professional songwriters. Des- Desmond Child. Desmond <laughs> Child and yeah. Holly Knight and. Dan Warren and even Michael Bolton were doing yes. some uh, yeah, yes. co- co-writing and stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: All right. W- one last question. Uh, I, any uh, hearing aid, right? Is that where we're going to ask Langan? Like, oh, I
2: would love to. I've never just what, my first chance to ever talk to someone who was participating in hearing aid.
0: Any memories about hearing, hearing aid? And, and
1: I was just an accidental participant.
2: Uh, there's other people that were
1: really at the core of the of their contribution to uh, to the making of that record. I did get to play with Ronnie. Yeah, uh, yeah. I was his last bass player in in Dio. Amazing. So, you know, but we never really talked much about hearing it because I I you know it's I, I Ronnie I learned so much from him. I really did. I mean, he was, you know, when I joined the band, I had been doing this for like maybe 25 years. And I thought I had learned everything. And then now I've been doing this for 40 years. And, and, uh, and I thought I had learned everything, knew everything about it. And I said, no, Ronnie just taught me a whole new level of humanity and musicianship, you know, really miss him, really miss him you yeah. know
0: it, it's 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 just amazing um you know the, the the front men even kevin you know kevin was so man kevin was just so powerful you know like mm-hmm. just like bigger wh- than life like bigger completely yeah. like right um and and you got to work with a lot of these guys but i also feel like they yeah. got to work with you you know you're you're fucking rudy yeah. sarzo
1: you know <laughs> well, like the well the way i look at it is is it's a joint collective a collective consciousness i we get to become part of this thing bigger we should always look at it bigger than the individual because it's the collective that makes the consciousness massive because you know it starts with four guys or five guys or guys and girls in a room and then if we really believe that right and start spreading out that energy you know by playing locally and then and then somebody from a record company watches you and say hey See, what record companies see when they, when they sign a band, it's part them liking it, but if the place was empty, there was less chance of that band getting signed that if the place is packed and everybody's vibrating at the same frequency as the band, then even, even if the record company guy doesn't get it, it doesn't matter. He sees people getting it and, he, and that's what he wants. It's yeah. different if you're the only person who really likes an, an artist you sign them. You're not gonna, yeah, you're gonna be like, well, I like this guy, but nobody's buying their records. Whereas if you sign somebody, you know, let us say Early Poison in LA, it was a no brainer for some, for whatever reason. All of these girls used to show up <laughs> at the shows and be like hardcore fans. Yeah, that band's gonna get signed because it's 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 it's, it's all. It's all tangled. It's all connected. If these girls like these guys, and yet they happen to be in L.A., well, as soon as girls in, in Peoria see this, these guys, they're going to feel exactly the same way. Because well, they're all connected.
0: We're all connected. We're, we're, all, we're all connected. We're all connected because I'm going to say in the last week, I've been talking about steel wheels for some random reason. And me and my friend were talking about steel wheels. <laughs> and I was like, the song Almost Hear You Sigh is like one of the best songs that the Stones ever wrote. So that's funny. I, I don't know. That's that's it, man. Thank you, Rudy. Yeah. This is like, I, I don't even feel like we need to ever podcast again.
2: So No, we, we could. Thank you so much for your time. I mean, we could keep you oh, forever, please do but podcast. we wouldn't. But uh, I, I want to tell all the listeners, everyone that listens, check out Rudy's uh, radio and podcast show, Six Degrees of Sarzo, wherever you listen to stuff. Check out his book, Off the Rails, which I got off of Amazon. It was a great read. I hope you write another book, too, because just like we only scratched the surface of your career here, I would love to hear about the rest of it, you know. but uh, Well, w-
1: well, thank you. But, but no, that's, that, no, right now, I'm concentrating on doing the radio show. I think sure. I can get more documented, you yes, know, especially, yeah. you know, you know what I mean? writing a book takes a long time if i was going to write the book i would have to stop doing just about everything else that i'm doing you know and doing a podcast is part of the uh, of the journey you
2: know and i also want to shout out all the great work you do for uh animals i know you're a big animal lover and supporter if there's any charities you support or would like to mention here go ahead and uh... no just
1: uh, everybody please please just uh you support your local shelters let's start locally here yeah yeah. yeah absolutely. I got well, two. thank I, you Rudy. I got my two oh, thank here. You. Now, so thank you, Rudy. Nah. Bye. Thank you. God bless you. God bless. Thank you, bless. you so much. Mucho gusto. Mucho gusto. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye-bye.